0: This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston. I'm delighted to welcome you and it's a pleasure to have your company. I hope you'll find today's talk interesting because Brian's looking again today at another characteristic with regard to the supremacy of Christ. This time our title is The Sacrificed Christ. We'll be looking into the Bible once more, again with the Book of Revelation as our starting point, to learn with Brian how the crucifixion of Jesus Christ makes him the supreme sovereign Lord. So let's hear now from Brian.
1: Thanks, John. And in this study, we're continuing our look, as we've heard, at some of the rewarding truths about our Lord as we continue our focus on the last book of the Bible, the Book of the Revelation. In Revelation chapter five. There's a moving description of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. The description tells us that the lamb had been slain. But the amazing and wonderful thing in John's vision is that it was also standing. Let's hear the Bible text we're talking about from Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne, with the four living creatures, and the elders, a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is very precious in the original sense of the word. In the Old Testament, we sometimes read of the word of God being very precious or rare in those days. Compare how we talk about precious metals or precious stones. Why are they precious? It's because they're rare. If they were common or easy to find, they'd lose their value. They're precious precisely because they're rare. The Old Testament talked about God's word being precious at times when it was rare when, as it says, there was no frequent revelation from the Lord through his prophets to his people. The Apostle Peter wrote about the precious blood of Christ in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 19. This is about rarity in the extreme, for we're talking about someone who's unique, without peer. This is what's communicated in the heavenly scene that John was privileged to witness in his vision of heaven the question resounded in the vault of heaven. Who is worthy? The response was a deafening silence. No one moved. A pregnant pause, during which time John was moved to tears. He was then ordered to stop crying, and his attention was drawn to someone initially described as a lion, but who appeared as a lamb. The majesty and triumph of the man of Calvary Jesus Christ is presented in this dramatic way. The one who died, the shameful death of the cross, has now entered into his glory. The Apostle Paul spoke about his sufferings for Christ's sake. He said he bore branded in his body the marks of Christ. Those marks in Paul's body will heal. His new body will display no trace of them. But by contrast, the marks of the nails and spear and thorns will never be erased from Christ's body, the slain one who's now standing. Their continuing existence, the scars of a divine sacrificial love, will melt our hearts in worship in his presence forever. And so we return to the description which tells us that the lamb had been slain, but which wonderfully also proclaimed that it was standing Both verbs are in what's known as the perfect tense in the original language of the New Testament. This grammatical feature tends to emphasise the continuing effect of these actions. In other words, the results and benefits of Jesus' death are lasting. They are permanent, never needing to be repeated. When we carefully observe detail like this, as found in the Bible text, we see at once the error of any false teaching which might attempt or want to enact repeatedly the sacrifice of Christ. That's as utterly foolish as it is utterly unnecessary. What's more, the permanent standing aspect of the second verb indicates that following his resurrection, Jesus never died again. The Bible again and again resounds to the note of triumph that he ever lives to intercede for us, to save us to the uttermost and to represent us before his God and Father. No Christian service would be worth a thing without the truth of this glorious fact. The same wonder is expressed vividly by Paul in what's been called his verbal shift of gears in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4. It says there, Christ died, meaning a one-time act, was buried, again meaning a one-time act, but has been raised, meaning he was raised and remained raised. When the Lord first appeared to the Apostle John, as recorded in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, he's described as the firstborn of the dead, and then later it's said that he's alive forevermore. Praise God for the lamb that was slain but is standing. Because if Christ has not been raised, our Christian faith is an empty, useless thing. Everything stands or falls based on whether or not he is standing. But John reports from his insight into heaven that he stands. Death could not keep its prey. The gates of Hades could not prevail against him to keep him in its domain, the domain of the dead. As a result, he's building his church today, one new believer at a time. Have you bowed at the feet of Calvary's lamb so that you can stand in the grace of God and walk in newness of life? Just a word about the term lamb. It's a common symbol in Revelation. 28 times Jesus is pictured as a lamb. In chapter 5 and verse 6, the Saviour is described as a slain lamb which involved the shedding of his blood on the cross some 2,000 years ago outside the city wall of Jerusalem. In addition to the blood of the Lamb, it's inspiring to read of the wrath of the Lamb. That's in chapter 6 and verse 16. The book of life of the Lamb, chapter 13, verse 8. The presence of the Lamb, chapter 14, verse 10. The song of the Lamb, chapter 15, verse 3. The marriage of the Lamb, chapter 19, verse 7. The marriage supper of the Lamb, chapter 19, verse 9. The wife of the Lamb, chapter 21, verse 9. The twelve apostles of the Lamb, in chapter 21 again, verse 14. And finally, the throne of the Lamb, chapter 22, verse 3. What a story all these tell us. And what a remarkable expression, the wrath of the Lamb, which we find at the head of that list we read out, which is in the order in which we find them employed in the book of the Revelation. As I write this, I am in an eastern country celebrating the Year of the Sheep, an emphasis being placed on the gentle character of a sheep, which some are hoping will be an antidote to aggression within society. Whereas in the West, some have mocked a lack of aggression in others by sneeringly saying that confrontation with them was like being savaged by a sheep. But there's no mockery here. The strangeness of the expression... The wrath of the Lamb makes it all the more ominous, for we remember the Lamb is the Lion. The same one who subjected himself to the cross is the one who has all authority now in heaven and on earth. The time is approaching when he will take up that authority and reign on this earth. Those who trust in the blood of the Lamb, whose only hope is the acknowledgement that he died for them, have their names written in the book of life of the Lamb. That's the ultimate cause for rejoicing, so Jesus informed his disciples on earth. The fact that the name of the believer is written there is our title to be there, our passport to those realms of bliss, the essence of which is captured by the words, the presence of the Lamb. It'll be glory just to be with him, to hear among the anthems of eternal days the song of the Lamb, which will be given to some future overcomers to sing. The idea of the wife of the lamb and the marriage supper of the lamb is a reminder that human marriage is used in the New Testament as a metaphor for the union of all Christian believers of this church age with Christ himself. That's why it's wrong, even blasphemous, to meddle with the definition of human marriage. And so, In celebrated union with him, we share eternal glory with the occupant of the throne of the Lamb. What amazing grace! The last book of the Bible draws back the curtain to unveil this much of a glimpse of the entrancing destiny of blood-bought believers on Jesus Christ. They will reign with Christ, the slain Lamb who's standing alive forever.
0: The original final verse of that hymn says, But now he's risen, ascended, crowned on the throne. Heaven's highest place for him is found on the throne. Our hearts we low in worship bow, and join as one to hail him now. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou on the throne. Now don't forget, I'll remind you there's a transcript booklet containing all 10 talks of this series, and it's free, so if you'd like one or more, please tell us and ask for the title, The Supremacy of Christ. And I'm about to give you our contact details now, so if you've got a pen and paper to hand, here they are. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, le five six ln UK. I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, L-E-5-6-L-N-U-K. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info, And you may be interested to know that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts uh, off-air uh, by audio podcast. Now, if you go on your computer to dot podbean.com, you can browse the list of previous talks, which you'll see has been categorised to help you. So that's all that we have for now. Many thanks for the privilege of your company today. We do appreciate it, and next week's study focuses on the worshipped Christ. So please join us if you can. Until then, very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers, and me, John. Goodbye and may God richly bless you.